All right, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today as we continue to head through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at the thought today, God's will, desire, and purpose. That's our three points, so if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and mark those down for you uh, and get those taken care of. Philippians chapter 2, let's look starting in verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always uh, obeyed, not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And like I said this morning, we're going to look at God's will, God's purpose, and God's desire. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we look into your word over these next several minutes. And God, I pray that as we continue to study this letter to the church, that God, we will learn from it, uh, we will grow from it, And Lord, I pray today as I present these verses that I would do them clearly and that I would do them correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue to walk through this letter of the the church of Philippi, to the church of Philippi. And I think, as we said at the beginning of this series, it's good to understand that this letter that's being written to this specific church still applies to us, and there are things from it that we can take in uh, and apply to our own lives to accomplish through our own church as well. And I want us to see, first of all, uh, this morning, God's will for your life. God's will for your life. You know, it's, uh, I grew up in, of course, Christian camp, and so you hear a lot about God's will. Do God's will. What is God's will? What has God called you to do? Those sorts of things growing up. Then you go to Bible college and you hear about God's will all the time. Uh, you know, what is God's will for you? What, are, what has God called you to do? Those sorts of things as well. And I know we've talked about this before, but when we look at the simplest uh, version of God's will, I do not know God's will for your life as far as details of exactly God's calling for you and those sorts of things. But I know God's basic will for your life as I know God's basic will for my life. It's the same thing. And we see it here in verses 12 and 13. It's an interesting phrasing used in verse number 12 where he says there in the middle of the verse, work out, I guess it's towards the end of the verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's God's will for your life, number one, with the, on this point is to work out your own salvation. Well, what in the world does that mean? I was told that the Bible said that we're saved by grace through faith. That I can't save myself. That only God can save me. That is true. So what do we mean by work out your salvation? If you go back, and, and I hate, I know I sound pious by doing this, but in the original language. Uh, If you go back in the original language, to to work out here, to work fully or to finish. So it's not about saving yourself. It's about exercising your salvation. If you think of the term work out as we use it today, I'm going to go work out. I don't use that phrase, but maybe you do. Uh, Other people do. Adam's not here today, but Adam likes to go work out. Uh, to work out, to work fully, to complete, to finish. When one works out uh, physically, it's to 
complete, so to say, your body. It's to maintain health. It's to uh, uh, get your, uh, in most cases, you're working out to an accomplished goal. Uh, I say it every year, right around January the 1st, this year I'm going to be buff. And it hasn't happened yet. Uh, But maybe next year, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, But, uh, you know, I'm going to start working out. A lot of people do that. You know, they joke about the, uh, the gyms being full in January and empty again in February. But all these people who say, I'm going to work out this year. The purpose of working out is to get healthy. It is to, though, complete something. And the idea of working out the salvation is to work, to exercise, to bring to completion, to work because of your salvation, to, to uh, uh, improve, not your salvation. You can't improve on your salvation. Salvation is eternal. It's complete in itself. God saves us. But now, as a result of my salvation, I'm going to uh, um, work because of my salvation to complete, to fulfill what that salvation is supposed to mean in my life. Yes, salvation is personal in the sense that uh, I, I can only be concerned with my own salvation. I can only uh, assure of my own salvation. I, only I know and God knows if I'm saved. I can tell other people I'm saved whether or not you believe me. It doesn't matter because I know if I'm saved. But as a result of that, salvation, the, the end goal is accomplished when we are uh, saved eternal security, uh, heaven as my eternal home, presence of God in my life. But now I am supposed to grow. I am supposed to gain. I am supposed to go further. I am supposed to do more as a result of my salvation. And ultimately it's encompassed in one simple word, obey. When, When we are saved, my desires are now supposed to be forfeited to now live my life according to God's desires. And God's will for my life is to work out my salvation. There is some emphasis on focusing primarily on myself, uh, worrying about primarily myself, making sure that I'm doing what God desires for me to do. But ultimately here there is this fulfilling, this completing of salvation. What does the Bible tell us when we go and share the gospel? He says, go out and share the gospel, and when people are saved, you baptize them, and then after you baptize them, you teach them. It's the working out. It's not, it's not doing anything for my own salvation. It is the fulfilling, the completing of my salvation. I hope I'm saying this in a way you understand. Uh, I'm in no way uh, uh, advocating for a work salvation. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's nothing of myself. It's all of God. But... Now, after I get saved, there is a completing for me to do, to go out and share the gospel with other people, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then to teach them all things whatsoever I have been taught. All things whatsoever the Bible teaches me, now I need to go out and teach other people as well. So am I obeying that is the question. Look at verse 12 again. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, he's writing to the church, Not as in my presence only, not just when I'm here, but actually more so in my absence. And so he says, continue. Obedience is important. Obedience is the very best way to show in whom you've believed. James talks about the working where you can show your faith without works, but I'm going to show my faith 
by my works. In my obedience, other people are going to see my salvation. And so through my obedience, it is the best way to show other people that I'm saved. If, I, if I'm living a life that is not obedient to God, no one's going to believe me when I tell them, hey, I, I have Jesus in my life. They're going to say, are you sure? It may be true that you do, but no one else is going to know it. And that's why that little kid's song of obedience is the very best way to show in whom I have believed. By my obedience, I'm showing others. And, and working out my salvation is not me building my salvation. It's not me piecing together my salvation. There is a little bit, again, of that emphasis of me making, focusing on myself, knowing for certain that I am saved. You say, well, can I really know if I'm saved? Well, the Bible says you can. So, yes, you can. But the working out of my salvation is more of the fulfilling now my life as it's supposed to be being saved. Uh, a, a workout versus me working out, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Verse 13 tells us that because of God we can do this. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You say, can I really obey God? Well, I'm a human, so I make mistakes. And I've told you a million times that's no excuse. But God says, I give you what you need to obey. You can do it. You remember as a kid, or maybe you remember in your own children, Dad, I can't. Son, go make your bed. Dad, I can't. Honey, go, no, no. Uh, um, the, the kids, they have these excuses, right? Well, Dad, I would obey. I just, I can't do it. Well, why not? I don't know how. That's not true. Here's how you do it. Well, yeah, but I can't. Well, why not? Because I can't. I've given you everything that you need. You've got hands. You've got feet. You have mobility. You have instruction. So go obey. Now, see, we don't look at our kids and go, oh, you're right, you can't do that. No, you say you have everything you need to do it, go do it. So why do we look at God and say, well, God, I can't obey that. God, I can't do that. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God, I can't do that. Didn't Christ say that God has given him all power and he is with us always? God says, love your neighbor. Well, God, I can't, I can't do that. You don't know my neighbor. Yeah, I do. Died on the cross for your neighbor. I've given you everything you need. Now go do it. If we'll take our Christian life and compare it to our kids and how they respond to us versus how we respond to God, it'll very quickly open our eyes to the realization we're no different than our children. The only difference is, is I'm not the creator of the world. <laughs> and I'm not the savior of the world. I can give my kids a lot of things, but there are certain things I can't give them. Guess what? God can. And here I sit with all these excuses for why I can't do what God's told me to do. And yet God says, no, you can through me. He says, I work in you both to will and to do according to my pleasure. 
God says, if this is what I will for you, I will give you what you need to do it. We've got missionaries in the building today. Some of us sit there and go, boy, I couldn't learn a new language. You know, you that old phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I can't learn a new language. Boy, I couldn't give up family time. I couldn't live in that country, Germany. Do you know what they've done? Well, if God calls you to do it, you sure could. If it's God's will for your life, He's given you everything you need to do it. But for the large majority of us, God hasn't called us to Germany. God hasn't called us across the oceans. God hasn't called us to the jungle. He said, hey, here's what I will for you. Go and do your job and reach your neighbors. Well, God, I can't do that. Yes, you can. With my help, you can. God's will for your life in one simple word is obedience. Are you obeying God? Number two this morning, I want us to see God's purpose for this obedience. God's purpose. Why does he want you to obey? We see in verse 14, God says, as far as obedience goes, do all things without murmurings and disputings. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Do it without murmurings and disputings, without complaining and debate. We all know what murmuring is. We did it. Maybe we still do it. Our kids did it or still do it. This, 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 you know, huh? Well, God, I obeyed. (laughs) Do it without murmuring and debate. God says, do this. And we say, well, God, I understand what you're saying, but I think reasons why I shouldn't do this is this. Reasons why I should do what I want to do is this. I think this would be better, God. I know that you created the world and that you put these uh, incredibly intricate nerve system in our body and these incredibly intricate uh, ways that plants reproduce the same kind of plant and, and uh, the, the birds and the fish and the sea and the sky and the, the everything that's here. I understand all that detail, God, but I don't think you understand <laughs> what you're telling me to do. Do it without murmurings and disputing. There are so many things in Scripture that are so clear, black and white, so clear that God says, do this, and we, go, we balk at it. We debate with God about it. I think of just sharing the gospel and the, the emphasis that is put on that in Scripture, and we tell God, well, I don't have the personality. You remember Moses said that? I can't do that, God. I can't speak publicly. I'm a stutterer. We come up with all these debates for why we can't do what God tells us to do. But there's a purpose for obedience. Uh, We need to obey because the world is crooked and perverse. Look in verse number 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We need to obey because the world's not going to obey. The older that I've gotten, the more I realize 
I have wrong expectations for the world. Well, the world should act nicer. The world should act purer. It should be more godly. It's not going to be. And it has never been. Remember back in Noah's day? As a matter of fact, it was so wicked that God said, I'm going to destroy the earth and start over. You say, well, this is the worst it's ever been. I mean, maybe, but it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> it's bad. I'm not saying it's not bad. My point is, we, we look for the world to be godly, and the reality is God looks to you to be godly. He looks to me to be godly. Why? Why should we obey? Because the world's not going to obey. It's wicked. It's crooked. It's perverse, according to this verse. And if I obey the world, I'll be crooked and perverse too. So I need to obey God so that I don't become like this world. I also need to obey to have a, the best testimony that I can have. It says there uh, in, in verse 15 that you may be blameless and harmless. The, uh, the, the definition of the word again, I know I'm sorry to sound like this, but in the original language is unmixed or innocent. Not blended, blameless and harmless. I may have told this before, but as a kid, there were two things I really loved. I loved the cereal Golden Grams, still do. And I love chocolate milk. And one day, in a rare occasion, we had chocolate milk in our refrigerator. And I got up and I was by myself, I think I was getting ready for school, and I thought, you know what would be great? Putting chocolate milk in my Golden Grams. I don't know if you've ever done this before. It's disgusting. Chocolate milk is not made for cereal. It's, it's, it's made to drink. And you mix one of the best cereals in the world with one of the best drinks in the world, and what you get is something absolutely disgusting. But when you keep them unmixed, not blended, they're still great. And God says, I want you to obey because I want you to be harmless and blameless, unmixed and innocent. When we don't obey God, we suddenly become something that's not great. The purpose for obedience, it's for personal protection. We talk about this a lot. God wants to bless you. God wants to reward you. God wants to take care of you. God wants to provide for you. Uh, God wants to, to, to give you satisfaction and joy. But He does that when you're obedient. And when you're not obedient, you're no longer blameless, harmless, innocent. In that obedience is when God does the most for you. When you find the joy of the Lord the most. It's why people who give up things in America to go to foreign countries find joy. Because they're obeying. It's why people who give up something that looks so great to do something that God wants them to do, and everybody looks at it and goes, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Because in obedience to God, you're blameless and harmless. And you find the joy and the satisfaction that comes from it. Number three, and lastly this morning, God's desire. 
God's will for your life is obedience. God's purpose for your obedience is uh, uh, for ultimate joy, blameless, being harmless. And number three, God's desire is to be lights in the world. Again, verse 15, the Bible says there at the end of the verse, uh, among whom, among this perverse nation, you shine as lights in the world. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they, the crooked and perverse world, may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I saw this phrase that says, it's not your job or our job to hold fast, but to hold forth the light. There is things that we must hold fast to, but if all we do is stand in the corner and hold on, we're not doing what God desires for us to do. And His desire is to be a light, to be a, uh, you know, you, we, don't, we don't really use lighthouses the way they were originally meant to be used, but they're there to, to shine forth, to let people know that land is near, that it could be dangerous if you come much closer. I don't know everything about lighthouses, but uh, it is there to see where the shore is so that if you're out there in a storm and you don't know whatever, you can at least know where land is. Uh, it is there as a, a, a point where people can see it's, it's up on a hill, it's bright, so that people can see it. And God says, I want you to be a light in the perverse and crooked world. I want people to be able to see. If you blend in, they can't see you. If you don't obey God, you just look like the world and they can't see you. There's an uh, effort amongst some Christians today to be more like the world so that the world will like them. It's been going on for ages. How can I do things that will make people want to come to church? How can I do things that will make people want to be a Christian? Um, back um, after I got out of college, people I was in college with, they went to a church that had um, Tavern Tuesdays or Tuesdays at the Tavern, I forget, something like that. And it was a Bible study at a tavern. They would meet there. <laughs> I thought, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But that seems awfully stupid. And it's the effort of, well, if you know, guys will be more comfortable coming and grabbing a drink. Okay, well, what are they going to learn? They're going to learn I don't have to change anything in my life. You see churches that they focus on entertaining. Not all of them are, I don't, I don't even think it's bad motives. But they, they think, well, if, if, you know, if it sounds like or looks like what they do on Saturday night, then they'll come on Sunday. But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible says you're supposed to be a light. You're supposed to stand out. You're supposed to be a peculiar people, sanctified, set apart. You're supposed to be different. And it's important for us to remember that God has not placed us here, in this town, in this community, in this church, to blend in. He hasn't placed us here to stand in the corner and hold on tight. He's placed us here to go forth. To shine. To hold forth the light. To influence 
for God. Now, obviously, you can go in the other direction, right? And be so pious and religious that nobody wants anything to do with you. So what should we do? We should obey. Have you prayed about it? We should obey. It's amazing how simple Scripture is in so many cases. But ultimately, if we work out our salvation, it'll be through obedience. Just doing what God's told us to do. And if we are able to accomplish the desire that God has for us, we will be lights in a crooked and perverse nation. I know I've said this before too, but we get so focused on how wicked our country is, uh, we don't spend enough time doing our part. When I was in college, uh, a couple of my friends would go to Hardee's. We did it to skip chapel, don't tell anybody. Um, We'd go to Hardee's and, sorry mom, uh, and we'd go order a loaded omelet biscuit. It's a great breakfast item. Uh, still have it, by the way. And uh, we'd go sit down and we'd eat and just chat, you know. And we were the only people under 80 in the building <laughs> every morning. Uh, you know, all the, all the older wise folks would go to Hardee's and they would eat their biscuits and gravy or whatever they ordered, I don't know. And, uh, and they would be reading the newspaper and chatting about the events of the day and, and those sorts of things. And I think sometimes we as Christians kind of fall into this only sitting with our buddies and talking about the events of the world, how wicked and how crooked and how gone and how lost our country is. But you know the problem with going and sitting in a, with a group of people in the same place every time? There's nobody outside the Hardys is talking with these guys. Sometimes as Christians we come to church and we sit and we talk about what's going on in the world. But we never go outside and talk to anybody. We never go outside and share the good news of the gospel. But that's God's desire for us. It's not just holding down our table in the corner of Hardee's or our pew inside a church. God's desire for us, and we need to fellowship, don't get, you know that. But God's desire for us is to go out, take the torch, shine the light. Let it be known that Jesus Christ came to earth born of a virgin a day that we're going to celebrate very soon he didn't come to earth as a baby to judge the world and condemn the world not at that moment he said I've come to seek and to save that which is lost and it's our job to go and share that good news that Jesus Christ came and that He died on the cross for our sins, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day victorious over death, sin, and hell. And because He loved you, and because He loved me, and because He loved the people outside of this building, 
He came. And even though I'm a sinner, even though knowing the life that I would live, He still loved me and He gave Himself for me. And now He offers a gift, the gift of salvation. We've heard it. We've accepted it. Go tell somebody else. That's God's desire. God's will for your life, obedience. His purpose for obedience is so that you don't become like the crooked and perverse nation and that you can have a testimony to share with other people. And His desire is that you're a light. The dark world needs a bright light. So be one. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray as we sit and none of this is new, none of this is earth shattering, none of this is news breaking, but Lord, it is so, so crucial. God, I pray that you'd help us to be obedient. God, I pray that as a church we would encourage one another, strengthen one another, challenge one another, help one another to go out and be a light, to be obedient in this wicked crooked, perverse nation. And God, I pray that we will accomplish your desire by being a light, individually, as well as as a a unit here as a church. God, that we'd be a light, that we would help others who are going to other places across the world, places that you've not called us to, at least not to go individually, but Lord, you have called us to reach the entire world, every creature. So Lord, help us, strengthen us, Grow our understanding, Lord. Grow our heart for worldwide missions. Lord, help us today to accomplish your will, your purpose, and your desire. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with me, please? The piano is going to play. If the Lord spoke to you today about obedience, maybe you haven't been as obedient as you should have been, would you just go to God today and Ask for forgiveness and commit yourself to obey Him better. If you haven't been the light that you're supposed to be and God's spoken to your heart today about the need to be a, a, a brighter light, would you just go to Him today and ask for His help and His strength? He says He'll help you. Whatever the Lord's spoken to you about today, would you just go to Him and talk with Him? You can come to the front and kneel if you'd like. You can stay at your seat. Uh, but don't leave today without taking care of the things that God's spoken to you about.